When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In terms of werewolf horror, 1981 is still the year to beat. Theatrically, the year saw the release of Wolfen, The Howling, and this 80s flick, which set the bar high for lycanthropic transformation sequences. The last to arrive on the big screen, it demonstrated how to approach a horror comedy, emphasizing both the laughs and the scares in equal measure. More importantly, the stunning special makeup effects, design, and creation earned Rick Baker his first ever Academy Award for Best Makeup. So grab your backpacks, grab a drink from the Slaughtered Lamb Pub, and watch out for a full moon as Jerry D and I discuss An American Werewolf in London from 1981 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. For the first 23 years of David Kessler's life, he was only human. Then one night he took a walk on the moors. Beware the moonlets. Is David behaving strangely? Are you all right now? Well, I'll let you know the next full moon. Tomorrow night's the full moon. You're going to change. From the director of Animal House, a different kind of animal, an American werewolf in London, rated R. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. I feel like Casey Kasem there for a second. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) thank you for listening to Casey Kasem's Top 40. That's how I always feel when I'm doing my intro. (laughs) Yeah. Same way, yeah. Which DJ am I today? All right, welcome in, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Of course, it's October. That means it's spooky movie season. We've got a good one for you tonight. Uh, Welcome to the show once again. Good friend of the show, good co-host, Mr. Jerry D from Totally Rad Christmas. Or is it Totally Rad Halloween? (laughs) 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 How you doing, Jerry? I'm, I'm all right, man. It's actually a little bit of both. So yeah. uh, I, I do a Halloween episode on Monday and then I drop a, a Christmas episode on Thursday. Yeah. So uh, it, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> I mean, especially these days, once, once you get past September, you just call it the holiday season because mm-hmm. you've got, I mean, literally I'm at, you know, right now I'm working at a retail store and we have Halloween candy, Thanksgiving decorations and Christmas decorations yep. all out at the same time. So there is, we don't live in the world where each holiday gets their own time. We just kind of throw them all together. So it's, it's hello. Thanks, miss. Yeah. You know? there you go. 
That's right. I'm picking up Halloween candy, listening to Christmas songs, and planning my Thanksgiving meal all the same time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and we're right there with you. I mean, I work at a Christmas store, so yeah. I pretty much live and breathe Christmas. But we just got in like a ton of fun, like Halloween stuff. So I'm like right there with you. I understand exactly what you're going through. It's yeah. like this weird mix of everything. And you're mm-hmm. right. It's just one big season, which yeah. makes this particular movie perfect. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And then, yeah, then it's, you know, he's still here. It's still like 80 degrees outside. So it's not even really fall right. weather yet. Same. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, before we get jump too far in, tell us a little bit what's going on with Totally Rad Christmas. What's going on with your show? What you got coming up? Ooh, so I got some really fun stuff coming up. Uh, so, of course, like I said, I'm doing a, a Halloween episode at mm-hmm. uh, the beginning of the week and then a Christmas one at the end of the week. So uh, by the time this drops, I will have done a couple. And so I did like uh, the Munster's Revenge, which was really fun. I also did um, the Supernaturals. I don't know if you remember that toy line. It, it had like holograms. They were like these spooky characters with all holograms. Yeah, cool. I think I remember that. Yeah. Uh, but then like on uh, on the Christmas side, like I got the Teen Witch coming up, the oh, Magic yeah. Kingdom Yuletide special. Um, of course, we're going to do Friday the 13th because you got to do <laughs> Friday the 13th. And then a few other things like Little Drummer Boy and Mask. And uh, we're getting ready for Christmas podcast day, which is on uh, November 1st, where all the Christmas podcasters in the Christmas podcast network, just drop a big episode and I'm covered the 1985 Macy's Thanksgiving day parade. And it was awesome. Wow. <laughs> wow. So, Where yeah, can you go back and stuff. watch that? Is that on like on YouTube? Or it's something? on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, okay. the whole, they have a ton. Like you'd be surprised yeah. all the years that they have on YouTube, but it's the full thing hosted by Pat Sajak. There's an entire <laughs> masters of the universe float. Oh my goodness. It was super cool. Yeah. I know what uh, I'm watching once we finish podcasting. I'm, <laughs> exactly. I'll be, yeah. I'll be up all night watching Christmas parades from the eighties <laughs> on YouTube. My new, my new obsession. All right. Well, good. Well, let's jump back into Halloween, at least for the next, 60 minutes or so I'm and in. talk about American Werewolf in London. So Jerry, when did you see an American Werewolf in London for the very first time? So I wish I could say I saw this one actually in the eighties. I actually saw <laughs> American Werewolf in Paris first, first? Which, was okay. like, which was like 97, 98. Yeah. 97. Like that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I remember going to see that with some friends and they mentioned how she's the daughter of someone, someone it's like a throwaway line about mm-hmm. how this is a sequel to American Werewolf in London. So, mm-hmm. I remember thinking, okay, well, now I kind of want to see American Werewolf in London. So I went back and I already knew about it. I'd seen bits and pieces of it. Yeah. Like, of of course, the werewolf transformation scene I saw way too young. Uh, (laughs) The end, you know, where you see like the full creature and and then you get shot. I saw that same thing in like the late 80s. So I knew exactly what the plot was it's a werewolf you know he's in london i mean it's pretty much in the title it's all the title there (laughs) that's that's right yeah spoiler alert it's in the title (laughs) but uh yeah so i'd seen bits and pieces and then i saw that one uh the sequel and so it made me want to go and watch the next one so about Mm -hmm. a a few months later i think i actually rented it Mm -hmm. and some with some friends and we sat down and like i think we had pizza and we we just watched it and it was it was a great (laughs) movie yeah i mean it's it's kind of a bummer of a movie. I mean, yeah, it's not a very, you know, we say horror comedy, but it's, it, it has some comedy elements, but it's not a very happy it's, movie. No, it's not. <laughs> Again, I hate to spoil it. It's been like 30 something years yeah, uh, or 40, yeah, yeah. 40, 40, years, yeah, 40, years, 40 now. years. So uh, if you haven't seen it, I think at this point it's on you, but yeah. <laughs> at the end, like everybody dies except, you know, the love interest. And it's yeah. like, oof, this is yeah. a, this is a rough, but which is, which is kind of a twist. Of what you would expect for, you know, you would think like, you know, for horror movies, you know, usually the fe- a female gets killed at some point. Well, she's a right. true final girl in that aspect where right, she, right. she survives, but nobody else, nobody else does. Uh, oh, so. it's pretty bad. Yeah. But, but I loved the, you know, knowing that it came from the early 80s when there was like no computer animation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything was done practically. I mean, just the the transformation scene is, is so just yeah. Uh, yeah. iconic mm-hmm. and phenomenally done. And, and just everything about it, the drama was there. But there was also some laughs. I mean, I, I really and truly enjoyed the movie. You know, it's just one of those that it's always kind of stuck with me. And and I hate to say it's like the the measuring uh like the measuring stick for Mm -hmm. you know for werewolf movies but in a way it kind of is at least when it comes to practical effects yeah 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 so for me i did not see this 
until this week. <laughs> so oh, I, okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, I remember, like you know, of course, eighty one. I was way too young to see it. Right. I remember. I have memories of seeing like the commercials for it as a kid. It probably came on cable, but it was. I wasn't a big scary movie person. This is well documented. If right. you any of our other horror movie part uh, movies for the podcast. I didn't get into really horror movies until I was in middle school. And by that point, it was more like Friday the 13th, much later, you know, late 80s going into 90s when I really kind of had my horror movie fix. So a lot of these early 80s horror movies are first time watches for me. But but I like same with you. I had seen bits and pieces. I mean, the transformation Mm -hmm. scene, of course, I don't think I'd ever seen it all together. I think I'd seen like clips because, you you know, probably watching it on TV or some special or, uh, you know, a special effects documentary kind of thing right. that I'd seen or special. So I'd seen like bits and pieces of it, never seen the entire full sequence until yeah. this, until this one. So yeah, so it was, it was a, it was a good watch for me. So <laughs> I watched it for the first time, you know, this week, I really didn't realize it was 81. Like I was mm-hmm. thinking like 83, 84, like more mid eighties, right. right. but to see 81, I was like, man, this really is the effects are very well done. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, I was kind of, I was going back and watching some of the clips before we started recording today. Cause I watched a couple of days ago, the transfer, of course, Teen Wolf was probably the werewolf movie that I yeah. know the most about. Same. But even, but even in that transformation, <laughs> even watching, thinking about the transformation scenes in Teen Wolf is almost like an homage or mm-hmm. very parallel, very similar to the transformation scene here in American Wolf werewolf from London. So it, when you say it's the measuring stick, if it's not, it's definitely, it's the standard that every other werewolf movie f- made since then For has sure. to, has to at least maybe can't surpass it, but at least get to that spot where, right. like, well, we did it kind of like that. You know, we kind of, you know, uh, we got close to it. So, so I, I agree with that. I think it's, well, we'll talk more about it as we go. But, yeah. 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 <laughs> So how long had it been since you watched it before you were watching it for the podcast? So I I saw it uh not last year, the year before again. And okay. it was like on one of my days off in mm-hmm. October and it was like, oh, what am I gonna do today? And then I, <laughs> I decided like, well, let's throw this on. You know, mm-hmm. I was just scrolling through one of the, the uh streaming networks. Okay, right. let's put this on. And so I that I, I saw it then. Now before that, it had definitely been about ten or fifteen years since yeah. I had just sat down with it. Um because I remember it was, yeah, it was like 90, late 97, maybe early 98, I guess, okay. uh, if, if the movie came out in 97. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was around there that I saw it. And then I'd seen it a few more times in college. And then I'd kind of, you know, yeah. forgotten about it. Other things mm-hmm. pop up. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know you know how it goes. But, but yeah, it uh, it was just, I, I hadn't seen it. And then all of a sudden, I was like, what am I going to watch? And I saw, <laughs> you know, it was like, it's it's. I want to watch something with the, like the Wolfman because I'm a huge, you know, we talked about this on your Monster Squad episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a huge like universal horror film mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like that's really the only thing I could watch <laughs> that my parents <laughs> would let me watch growing up. Right. Know? Right. So I, I wanted to watch the Wolfman, couldn't find it. And then I thought, oh, what about American Werewolf in London? And so mm-hmm. I looked it up and saw it then. And then I watched it again um, this past, well, maybe two weeks ago, I think. Okay. No, yeah, about two weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, it it was just as good. I mean, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of funny bits that you're just, you know, like when uh, when Griffin's asking for toast, you know, and yeah. he's like he's undead. He's like, can I have some toast? And you're like, what? Right. It's just right. ridiculous. You know, yeah. uh, there's a lot of weird bits like that. But then it's also just like, wow, the body horror of it all. You know? Yeah. Which, yeah. Which was a big thing in the 80s, especially. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, especially especially towards the end. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, they really, they really went for it. Like really went for the gore aspect. Like mm-hmm. it was, a li- I was a little more shocked than I thought I would have been. I was like, oh, it's eighties movie. It'll be, you know, it'd be bloody, but it's not going to be, but they, they, you know, Landis really went for it. So yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> and now these messages. What's up dudes. I'm Jerry D of totally rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the eighties, toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas special. Plus classics shown every year. 
<laughs> you also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Hello, 80s flick lovers. I just want to take a few minutes and say thanks again for listening to the 80s flick flashback podcast. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. But it's time to shout out our newest member who is now supporting us monthly on buymeacoffee.com. Let's give a big 80s flick flashback thank you to Anita Wildman for becoming our newest cult classic member. Anita's been a fan of the show for a long time. She was one of the first people to leave us a written review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. <laughs> She's also active on our social media, so thank you so much, Anita. It's awesome to have you as a supporter. Thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to support the podcast as well, there are three tiers of support. We have Cult Classic, that's $5 a month. Be Kind, Please Rewind, that's $10 a month. And Box Office Blockbuster for $15 a month. You can even receive an 80s flick flashback t-shirt if you become a box office blockbuster member, so don't delay. You can also leave a one-time donation for $5 or more if you choose. Just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash 80s flick FB. Go there for details and to start your membership. We will always offer free episodes and will never put any of our past seasons or episodes behind a paywall, but it does cost money to keep the podcast running. Since the creation of the podcast, I personally paid monthly for the website, the Zoom account, various movie rentals and streaming subscriptions, marketing tools, other miscellaneous expenses that pop up from time to time. If you love the show, then please consider being one of our subscription members through Buy Me A Coffee. Every little bit helps and is greatly appreciated. Hey, if you want to do something special for my birthday coming up in November or maybe for the holidays, you can find my Amazon wish list at the link in our show notes. I've compiled a list of Blu-rays and DVDs that I want to add to my collection as I move away from digital content and back to physical copies. I've got movies there priced from $5 to $40 on the list, so feel free to purchase one or a few more. (laughs) Hey, if you love 80s pop music and movie soundtracks as much as I do, you can also find the 80s flick flashback movie songs mix playlist on Apple Music. It's full of hit songs like Footloose, Ghostbusters, and Purple Rain, as well as deeper cuts from 80s flicks like Catch Me Now I'm Falling from Hiding Out, Rhythm of the Night from The Last Dragon, and Babysitting Blues from Adventures in Babysitting. This would have been my ultimate movie soundtrack mixtape growing up if I could have found a cassette tape to hold seven hours worth of songs. Thanks again for listening. I really do appreciate every one of you, and I'm amazed each week to watch the number of new listeners grow. It's because of you and your support that the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast is still going strong. So let's keep the fun going. Now, let's get back to the show. So let's talk a little bit about story origin and pre-production. So John Landis, the writer-director, came up with a story while he worked in Yugoslavia as a production assistant on the film Kelly's Heroes back in 1970. He and a Yugoslav member of the crew were driving in the back of a car on location when they came across a group of gypsies. The gypsies appeared to be performing rituals on a man they were about to bury. The body was being buried in a massively deep grave, feet first, while wrapped in garlic so he would not rise from the dead. (laughs) This, This made Landis realize he would never be able to confront the undead and gave him the idea for a film in which a man would go through the same thing. So he wrote the first draft in 1969 while he was working on the film and shelved it for over a decade. Two years later, Landis wrote, directed, and starred in his debut film, Schlock, which developed a cult following. He then developed box office status in Hollywood through the successful comedy films The Kentucky Fried Movie, National Lampoon's Animal House, and The Blues Brothers, before securing $10 million financing from Polygram Pictures for his werewolf movie. 
Uh, financiers believe that Landis's script was too frightening to be a comedy and too funny to be a horror film. The Universal ex- executives were pressuring the director to cast Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi as David Kessler and Jack Goodman, but Landis went with unknown actors instead. Can you imagine how different the movie would be with uh, totally Dan different. Aykroyd? <laughs> they were really trying to make it a comedy if they were going in that route. Yeah, and I think it would have if people would have would have seen if people would have known that Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi were going to be in the movie, they definitely would have been thinking more comedy mm-hmm. than than horror for sure so and i know that that's actually that that did happen yeah people thought it was more comedy anyway so imagine how much more they would have been surprised yeah, exactly oh my goodness <laughs> yeah i think they said there was a pre they were doing previews and to get people to come in they said oh this is from the same guy that made animal house yeah and everybody went and thinking it was gonna be a comedy <laughs> and then they they were leaving like in droves because they were so freaked out by the movie yeah so, yeah that's that's a that's a that's a uh Definitely two different toned movies for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, when you're going to go watch a horror movie, you like get into the mood of, yeah. of watching oh, yeah, a yeah. horror movie. You know, yeah. you, get, you prepare yourself in a certain way. <laughs> right. <laughs> so exactly. Can you imagine like, oh, it's the animal house guy. This is going to be a riot. And then, mm-hmm. whoa. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh. Even how, the, even how the movie kind of starts, you know, they have a little funny conversation at the beginning, but it doesn't start like a comedy. Like it, it's still. Right. It still kind of has kind of a, a dour, you know, just the weather and the, mm-hmm. the landscaping. It kind of, it, it, he does a good job of setting the tone early. Uh, like I said, I think the, the comedy is kind of sprinkled in. It's right. not as thorough, not, not throughout like other, you know, horror comedies we've had, you know, since mm-hmm. then. But, yeah. Yeah. They use it much more sparse and sparingly. And I think it really helps. To like break up some of the the craziness. Yeah, yeah. If if you were to take it out, this movie would just. And even if you don't take it out, this movie is just straight up bonkers. You know. <laughs> yeah. Like there's oh, yeah, there's yeah. some some just some real like the dream sequence with the the Nazi werewolf yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, oh what? yeah. Yeah. What are you yeah. talking about? But <laughs> but like you know by throwing in some jokes here and there, it's like oh okay or or how his friend even after he's undead you know mm-hmm. and he's showing up appearing to him and he's just like making jokes and he's, yeah. and he's nice oh, yeah. and cheerful the whole time exactly like, yeah like hey yeah. buddy I, it's lonely on the other side <laughs> i just came to talk to you yeah. right right yeah oh. which i think were some of the those are some great scenes and we'll yeah we'll those the are some of my go. favorites yeah <laughs> so uh john landis said the reason he chose london as the setting was because london was horror central of course home of jack the ripper jekyll and hyde so he wanted all the victorian goth but he also wanted to show the real London of 1981 at the time. So it was right. pretty cool. So yeah. uh, so after they filmed it, in order to get the movie down to an R rating, Landis had to t- tone down the sex scene and cut out a part where a piece of toast fell out of Jack's undead throat. <laughs> <laughs> he also edited out a scene where the werewolf kills three homeless men after preview audiences freaked out. Mm. So had to had to had to make some make some changes there. So. And I think that was one of his uh, biggest regrets. Yeah, he did say that. Yeah. Yeah. He said he wished he would have kept it kept it in. Again, that would have definitely pushed it more into the horror mm-hmm. than, than it is right now. And yeah. I mean, it's not like Monster Squad. Monster Squad knows what it is. You know, yeah. it's like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it knows it's like a horror comedy, but it, there's much more comedy in it. Mm-hmm. This is almost more like like a horror movie with comedy rather yeah, than exactly. like a horror comedy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, so let's talk a little bit about John Landis. Uh, it's a name that I've covered a couple of his movies already, but just to give you a little brief background. Of course, he's an American comedy filmmaker and actor. He's best known for the comedy films that he's directed. Some we've mentioned already, like Kentucky Fried Movie in 77, Animal mm-hmm. House in 78, Blues Brothers in 80. He also did Trading Places in 83, Three Amigos yeah. in 86. We've covered Coming to America, of course, in 88. We've covered, and he did Beverly Hills Cop 3 in 1994. Of course, his career almost ended due to his role in the accidental deaths of three people during the filming of Twilight Zone, the movie in 83. So we talked right. about that in the, uh, especially in the Coming to America episode. Right. Uh, but, you know, probably what I remembered him most for as a kid was he directed the Michael Jackson thriller video. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Which I was, I'm glad you brought it up because if you weren't, I was totally going to do it. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, that's like same thing. And I remember um, watching it as a kid and it like scared the heck out of me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and my little brother who was two years old, and I think I might have said this on your show before, but my little two year old brother was just watching it with my dad like, oh, this is Mm -hmm. fun, you know, and and I was older and I was just terrified, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's how well done it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Same thing with the transformation. And I know he put so much effort into it as well. He got like Elmer Bernstein to do some mm-hmm. of the score. He got, yeah. you know, Rick Baker and, and all the guys again. I mean, so it's like, yeah, he, he doesn't do things halfway. I no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I remember when the, like, I think we had MTV at that time when it came out, but of course then they, they, you know, they would show the video, but that was the first time that there was like a full length video with the whole yeah. story and everything else. And so, there was a video that you could rent, a you know, VHS cassette of like the making of Thriller that had the video in it and everything. I, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one of my friends, well, I, he was a kid that lived on my street. I can't really say he was one of my friends, but he was a kid on my street <laughs> that for his birthday, that's what he wanted. He wanted to have a birthday party and all of his friends and he wanted his parents to rent a VCR, which back then you, you could. Back then, that we rented them. We didn't, most people didn't own them by that point right. and rented the video. So that was the party. I mean, we went to his house. I remember having cake and eating pizza, playing all that kind of stuff. I was like, when are we going to watch the video? When are we watch the video. And finally, I think at like eight or nine o'clock, we sat down, all the lights turned off in the room on a, probably a 15 inch TV, <laughs> which sounds crazy now. Uh, <laughs> you know, but you know, square, you mean, you mean a computer screen. monitor? Right. Exactly. Yeah. The computer <laughs> yeah. monitor I'm using now is probably smaller or bigger than the TV I watched it on. But, um, but I remember yeah. watching, like watching the whole thing and just like, cause I wasn't a big horror movie fan. I remember mm-hmm. being excited and scared, mm-hmm. but more excited than scared at the same time. It was such right. a weird, Cause I was a huge, I mean, huge Michael Jackson fan. Like, so yeah. I was, I was so excited about that, but yeah. So I kind of forgotten that John Landis directed this until going back and watching this movie. It's like, Oh, well you can see. And in my research, Michael Jackson was a big fan of the movie and he wanted, he's like, I want John Landis and everybody that he worked with to do this video. And, mm-hmm. uh, when, back, especially back then in 83, if Michael Jackson wants something, He's going to get oh, it's, it. Yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, and it, you're right. Like that video was just it, it's so full of all this imagery, you know, mm-hmm. that, that we've seen in this movie here. Yeah. But at the yeah. same time, it, it became like just such a momentous uh, video, you know, like like everyone tried to copy that afterwards. Yeah. Well, if, oh, they, yeah. if they had the budget, you know, everyone right, wanted right. like, like. You think of like November Rain by Guns N' Roses or, mm-hmm. you know, some some of these other videos that started off with a little story, but mm-hmm. no one had this. No. They didn't have no. a, a full Hollywood director mm-hmm. and composer and, you know, all sorts Special of things. Special effects and Special know, effects makeup, guys. Makeup, yeah. makeup, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it really changed the landscape of videos because remember a lot of times before then it was like, they were on stage singing live yeah, at a concert. Yeah, exactly. and that was like the video. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah. it really like like transformed the whole uh, mm-hmm. MTV as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. It became they wanted to make like short films basically with a music as the center. Exactly. And that's, you know, I think Michael Jackson really that I remember, he's the one that really started that and doing the right. full what they call they called full length videos at that point. Cause I think even when they got to the MTV boot. The MTV Awards, you had like short form video and long oh, yeah. form video. Right. So you had the ones that had the story a little before. And then I remember when those started coming out, everybody was mad when they were, oh, they're showing the short one now. I want to see the long one. <laughs> yeah, yeah I remember that too. Like they'd only show the long <laughs> version like once a day, but they'd show the short one, you know, multiple right. times or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, back when MTV played music, all uh, the memories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Now that was like, 35 years ago. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's jump into the cast. We're only going to talk about the, you know, the main characters and really the ones that have anything to really talk about as far as their careers. Right. So we'll start with David Naughton as David Kessler. Uh, Naughton made his professional debut in the New York Shakespeare Festival's production of Hamlet and Lincoln mm-hmm. Center. He was then cast as the lead singer dancer in the Be a Pepper advertising campaign yes. for Dr. Pepper <laughs> That's in how the I early do 80s. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, he was let go by Dr. Pepper because of his nude scenes in this movie. <laughs> so. Oh, geez. Yeah. Could, 
Probably a good thing. Yeah. Uh, although yeah. I think he was kind of typecast either way. You he know? was. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, he also started Michael J. Fox's film debut, Midnight Madness, in 1980, as well as the ski comedy Hot Dog the Movie in 83. Oh, yeah. He played opposite Pam Dauber and the late Rebecca Schaefer in the CBS sitcom My Sister Sam in 1986. So he's uh, he did a few things uh, in the 80s. but I don't think I remember that one, but yeah. for sure, Midnight Madness. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was a fun one. That was super fun. <laughs> So then we've got Griffin Dunn as Jack Goodman. He -hmm. grew up mainly in Los Angeles, California, and attended school in Colorado before moving back to New York in the late 70s. As an actor, Dunn has the distinction of having starred in two 80s cult favorites. First was this movie, and then Martin Scorsese's black comedy After Hours in 1985. Right. After Hours is also among the movies that Dunn has produced with partner Amy Robinson through their company Double Play Productions. Other double play productions include Running on Empty in 88 with River Phoenix, White Palace in 1990 with Susan Sarandon, and Once Around in 1991. I don't really know anything about that one, but I don't either. Mm -mm. He continued to appear on both sides of the camera, taking supporting roles as an actor in films like My Girl in 1991 and I Like It Like That in 94. He made his directorial debut with a short film Duke of Groove in 1995, which was nominated for an Oscar. He then made the leap to directing feature films with Addicted to Love in 97 with Matthew Broderick and Practical Magic in 98 with Sandra Bullock, I think. Sandra right? Bullock and uh, Nicole Kidman. Uh, Nicole Kidman. No. I couldn't think of her name for yeah. some reason. Yeah. See, and I knew him from that Madonna movie, Who's That Girl? That's that's, that's... right. That is him. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that did not pop up in when I was, you know, in, loud in my little bio. Yeah, that's right. Now, there's a forgotten 80s (laughs) flick right there. So for real. Uh, Although I hate to say it. I loved it. It's a terrible movie. I I can see why it's forgotten. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think I get that movie and Desperately Seeking Susan mixed up because they're kind of similar, I think, aren't they? I don't know. I'd have to go go back and watch them. But yeah, who's that girl? The song was definitely more popular than the movie. (laughs) Much, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> so, but, uh, but Dunn is most recently seen in the hit series, This Is Us as Nikki Pearson. So if you're a This Is Us fan, he had a pretty big role towards the end of the show. So Griffin Dunn said he had never done a feature film before and didn't even audition for this one, but a 10 minute talk with John Landis, along with a quick read of the script, got him the role of Jack. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Can you imagine just talking to a director yeah. and then be like, Hey, you want to be in my movie? Yeah. Yeah. That's basically, that's how it was. They they were talking, they were having a conversation and he was talking about things that he had done. He'd been to Europe and done some things together. He's like, okay, you want to be in the movie? He's like, sure. David Naughton recalls a similar situation, but in his conversation, Landis mentioned the Dr. Pepper commercials. So that was how Landis Mm. knew him. And so uh, he said he was a pepper. I was a pepper. So we hit it off. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? There you go. (laughs) David Naughton. So then we've got Jenny Agater. I'm going to hope that's right. By I nurse. I think that's, a, yeah. Yeah. Agater as nurse Alex Price. In 1976, Jenny really came to the attention of the U.S. film audiences with her starring role in the science fiction classic Logan's Run mm-hmm. with Michael York. Though not a critical favorite, it was a huge box office success and spawned a television series. She also starred along Richard Chamberlain in a well-received made-for-TV version of the famous Dumas tale, The Man in the Iron Mask, in 1977, and turned in a solid performance in the World War II thriller The Eagle Has Landed in 76 with Michael Caine and Donald Sutherland. She also made several guest appearances in 80s TV shows such as The Equalizer with Edward Woodward, The Twilight Zone, Magnum P.I., and The Six Million Dollar Man. Nice. I knew her... Or, or I know her now mm-hmm. uh, from being on the World Security Council in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, yeah, she, she I did on see the that. council. Yeah, that's then, right. And then in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, she makes an appearance where she does some awesome things only to find out that it's actually uh, the Black Widow wearing yes. like, one of those face mask things. Oh, man, I did not realize that was the same person. That's her. Yeah, man. <laughs> Got to go back and watch that scene now. Oh man, that's great. Yeah, I did. I like, I remember when I was looking at her filmography, I did see like Marvel or uh, yeah. Marvel on there and I didn't, I didn't dig too deep into it. I was like, oh man, I'm slacking on my research, but good, good to know. <laughs> okay. but, hey, I'm glad you're, you're, but you're, you're catching me up, <laughs> catching me up. 
Uh, David Naughton described Jenny as a class act. He said, I'd been a student at the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts a few years before and had a total crush on her, having seen her playing the stable girl in Equus at the Royal Court Theater, where I had been an usher. So he already had a crush on her. So that, of course, that helped with their chemistry for their scenes, I'm sure. Uh, But of course, she said, I think I read something else where she was like, he kept saying that he had seen her on stage, but she said... she said, I yeah. never did a stage production. I only did the TV version. She said, he, <laughs> so he had a crush on some other girl that must have looked like me. <laughs> he, which I he thought was great. He the two. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> hey, but you're right, though. It worked because yeah. the, they did have very electric chemistry, mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Our last cast member we'll talk about, there were other people in the cast, and Jerry and I were talking about before the show started, that they were mainly like British actors. They had right. like British careers, but nothing that, you know, which I know I do have some British listeners. Thank you guys for listening. But for our primarily American audience, they didn't really have much as far as, you know, uh, notoriety, other, of- you know notoriety or movies or shows that we'd be familiar with. Over so, here. but right. one, one famous name and of course voice that's in the movie very briefly, but yeah. it's still there <laughs> is Frank Oz as Mr. Collins. Yes. And, yeah. Good old Frank Oz. So as a teenager, he worked as an apprentice puppeteer at Children's Fairyland Amusement Park. He is one of the primary puppeteers responsible for the development of Jim Henson's Sesame Street and The Muppet Show, as well as over 75 other Muppet productions. George Lucas originally contacted Jim Henson to play the part of Yoda in Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, but he recommended Oz for the part instead. He developed the character's trademark syntax, returning to voice and puppet the Jedi Master in Episodes 6, Return of the Jedi, and episode one, The Phantom Menace in 99. I know we won't get a Star Wars about episode numbers, but anyway. <laughs> he, there's only there's only three Star Wars movies, man. No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. As far as I'm concerned. No, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he began a career of behind-the-camera puppet and live-action filmmaking by co-directing The Dark Crystal in 82 with Henson. Mm-hmm. Love that movie. He oh, went on to too. direct The Muppets Take Manhattan in 84. Love that movie. Yep, Little Shop of another... Horrors in 86. Love that movie. <laughs> Dirty Rotten <laughs> Scoundrels in 88. Love that movie. <laughs> There's like just a whole laundry list of like yeah. amazing films that he's yep. done. <laughs> uh, he had those great cameos. Well, he, he was did... in, uh, he cameoed in Trading Places. He did. He cameoed mm. in Spies Like Us. He's yeah. cameoed in a lot of like Landis. Did Landis do spies like us? He might have. I didn't put that on my. I don't remember if he did, honestly. Yeah. Um, I I can't recall, but yeah, yeah. I mean, even if he didn't, it's still a great one. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's always. I mean, it's it's great, and and it's funny because he's kind of he's in this movie for two different roles because he plays you know his character Mr. Collins, right. but he's also the voice of Miss Piggy when they have a scene of the Muppet Show during one of the dream sequences. So he did. He did do spies like us, by the way. He did. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah I was yeah. thinking it's like Frank Oz was in it. He had to, because I think I want to say when we were doing, we were talking about coming to America. Cause I think Frank Oz is in that. I know he's in blues brothers. I remember his scene in that one. I can't mm-hmm. remember where he is anyway, yeah, definitely... but like, I think Landis will cameo in Frank Oz's movies. Like they always kind of pop up in each other's movies just cause they have that, that history. So yeah, always fun. All right, well, let's talk about iconic and favorite scenes. I, I think we're go- both going to land on the iconic scene. We've already talked <laughs> think, about it already. I think so, the yeah. The transformation. <laughs> exactly, is, yeah. If you're not a horror fan, if you're not a John Landis fan, of course, if you listen to this podcast as far, you've probably seen the movie already, but tell your friends. <laughs> to watch, the movie is worth watching just solely yeah. for that transformation scene. It is, as we said, it it set the bar. It 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 is the measuring stick. The practical effects are fantastic. You can see mm-hmm. why why uh, Baker won the Academy Award, and it was the first time that that was uh, uh you know special effects was was part of the Academy Awards, and he won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like like what else could you say? That's that's literally <laughs> the 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 most memorable scene because it it it's long. It's like mm-hmm. two minutes or, or or three minutes long. Yeah, and. It's horrifying. You you see, like, from from the moment, you know, he, like, just gets up and he's like, oh, I'm burning up and mm-hmm. starts ripping off his yeah. shirt all the yeah. way to, like, when he's looking at his right hand and you just mm. see, like, the fingers start to extend. Yeah. And his the shape begins to change. Change, and, yeah, yeah. And he's just, like, screaming for help, like, somebody mm-hmm. help me. And, I mean, it's just... 
like you feel everything he's going through and the agony and the pain and and which makes sense i mean it it you're literally changing into a wolf i mean of yeah. course your skeleton has to change and mm-hmm. i imagine that's got to be a ridiculously painful event right 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 yeah that was exactly what landa said he was it was an interview he said his inspiration was the old 1940s horror movie the wolfman right in which unusually the werewolf was portrayed as a victim he said films tend to show the transformation from man to wolf through dissolves but i wanted to capture how painful the entire process would be and make it painful to watch although the film did have comedy i wanted to treat the violence realistically to make it as terrible as violence always is but yeah right. but it, I mean, and that's it's evident like the screaming the agonizing pain mm-hmm. you felt that in that scene like right even though you knew it's not real you could the agony of him going through that transformation and watching the bones change. I mean, like this whole trend, like it's not, I mean, yeah. you've seen that, like I said, talk about Teen Wolf. It's a much more toned down version. Like, Oh, something's growing out of me. Oh, this is so weird. Right. But in this one, it's like, no, my body is completely transformed. My, my bones are changing. My, my skin is being stretched the way when it hasn't been stretched before that, that's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and like all the techniques they use. So like uh, certain hydraulic things here and mm-hmm. there or or uh, pulling the hairs, you know, uh, backwards and then just running the film backwards, you know, to yeah. make it look like the hairs growing. I mean, yeah, all these things that they had to like be super creative. And yeah. you kind of feel like a lot of that's missing nowadays in today's mm-hmm. films. Like you just put on computers and no big deal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Boop, boop, it's boop, like, oh, done. just. And like, a couple of clicks and we can watch it you know do that's that, yeah. right and and not to again not to to uh, in any way kind of uh tear apart what right right computer yeah. artists do because that that does take a lot of skill as well mm-hmm. yeah. but the creativity here is mm-hmm. just unparalleled because yeah. they have to you know they have to like figure out okay how do i make this hand look like it's being stretched mm-hmm. and then go from there so yeah. like i know that he was laying down kind of uh they they had an elevated floor that he was kind of laying under so only his torso or portion of his torso was visible and then Mm -hmm. they had prosthetic pieces there but everything from like the distending of his his spine you know Mm -hmm. and and the way that the the, uh shoulder blades were being changed like it it just you definitely feel it's very visceral Mm -hmm. and and yeah good word yeah exactly i mean really (laughs) right what it is you know it's like you just you feel every bit of that and and i i i don't know what else to to say about it except like if you haven't seen it it's a must because yeah i and i like i said i love horror well i don't love horror movies i (laughs) they're okay i love universal (laughs) monster type there you go there you go yeah Uh, which are much more tame but in this particular scene i think like the realism that they achieved mm-hmm. for the time yeah yeah was just beyond reproach mm-hmm. i agree 100 <laughs> percent. yeah yeah i mean we like i said well we can you've covered pretty much what i had in my notes about you know the you know the how they how they filmed that sequence so i mean oh, it's, sorry. it's no 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 you're good no <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yeah. i mean you covered it so but yeah, it's like even if you don't want to watch the movie, like and if you listen this far, you probably have. But I think you can watch it now on YouTube, or you know, I'm sure you could watch just that right. scene online somewhere. Yeah. But I mean, it's groundbreaking. It's iconic for a reason. So, mm-hmm. but let's talk about other. So we we talked about that. So what other scenes are in, yeah, any fa- other favorite <laughs> well, scenes? Well, the the one that always makes me laugh just because it's so out there is his dream about the Nazi werewolf. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's 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 so bizarre. It's just weird. Yeah. And I love how this kind of has become like a little trope because they, they include it in this. And then I think it's included in like a few others where uh, the person that becomes a werewolf has like these nightmares about wolves mm-hmm. and, and, you know, just weird things. Um, so so that one's just crazy. But um, I think that the ending scene, honestly, yeah. is, is just heartbreaking to me, you know, and yeah. where she goes to like try, you know, to to reach him you know like mm-hmm. hey david it's me i love you right right and it almost for a moment just like oh okay maybe maybe she can calm him down mm-hmm. maybe she'll he won't attack her and then he's about to lunge at her then he he gets shot and mm-hmm. dies which always made me wonder like were those silver bullets like yeah. why would they why would they have silver bullets right <laughs> which it was funny because my, my wife was like she had she wasn't watching the whole thing but she kind of came right. in towards the end and she made this, he's like, did they use silver bullets? Did he really die? And I was like, well, I think there's a line 
because when he's talking to uh when they're in the theater and he's talking right. to like the you know almost fully All the decomposed dead, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and he says well don't they need silver bullets and he makes some some comment like oh th- this is real this is some story some made up yeah. story so they kind of had to nice little way to put that in there like well <laughs> it doesn't have to be a silver bullet you know right. this is you know uh take it away from the old the the myths and the the old tales or whatever but right right but yeah but yeah i think for me my favorite sequence usually when i have do a horror movie talk about what are the best kills and this one doesn't isn't really kind of that way i mean there's several right. attacks but but the the businessman at the train and leaving the train <laughs> yeah is probably my favorite like sequence because it's that it's just so. a great you know it's like the the shot from the from the wolf's perspective and how yeah. it's shot and like his response and uh just you know it's it's that classic horror mm-hmm. what's that sound who, who who's back there dude don't ask a question you just, just need to run. run. Like, yeah. Why are you? Why are you standing there thinking about it? Just go. But it's you know. But that's what we we watch these movies to to be smarter than the right. people in the movies, right? Right. And so, uh, but that whole sequence I really liked. And that's then of a good course, one too. Yeah. yeah. And then of course, when they're in the theater at the back, and he's mm-hmm. got all the people that he's killed or have like tell him how to off himself, which I thought was it, it was kind of a funny scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Jack is he kept all, decomposing more yeah, and more. <laughs> all the other scenes I was reading, all the other scenes he was in makeup, and they actually filmed this movie in sequence, not so much for the story, but because Landis wanted Baker to have as much time as right. he needed to do the to do the makeup and the effects because all that was going to be at the end. And so uh, Griffin Dunn, Jack was the play Jack. He was like, oh, when he had the first, you know, little partially ripped face, he's like, oh, this won't be too bad for the makeup. And then as they got going, it's like <laughs> the hour, the longer hours, but for right. that scene in the theater, that last scene, that's not it's him. A, it's a it's puppet. A puppet. It? Yeah. yeah. But it was actually one of the, he actually got to be one of the puppeteers working the puppet, which I thought was pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but that, that's, that's that a good look, one. Yeah. But that look of him as the puppet, like even watching it now, it's like, that's so well done. Like it's, yeah. you know, once again, not taking anything away from the graphic designers, computer guys, cause they do some amazing things in movies today that totally. I would never, I would never be able to do. So I, I can't knock some, I'm not going to knock somebody who can do stuff better than I. Exactly. But, yeah. but the, the realism of that, even though it was a puppet, somewhat animatronic, especially right. back then, which would have been more animatronic kind of stuff was still really so well done. So mm-hmm. well, so well done. Uh, another one that I really love is the um, uh, in the opening, like when they're walking on the moors. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's uh, they're they're kind of joking around, and what was that? You know, and mm-hmm. it's like ah, it's probably just a sheep or it's a coyote. You know, I mean, just <laughs> they don't have coyotes here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But you know, it's like it's kind of raining. Mm-hmm. It uh, it's dark. It's just this wide open expanse of like nothingness. Mm-hmm. I mean. I, that uh, the the circling, you know, I think it's circling us, and then you yeah. see Dave kind of circling Jack. I mean, mm-hmm. it uh, it's it's just again like the atmospheric and moody, and mm-hmm. like you just know something bad's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Enough, it does. <laughs> oh yeah, they ad libbed a lot of those lines. Like they, you know, they were talking. I was reading an article about or reading some research about that they didn't know each other before the movie started, so they were a little worried about whether they're gonna have good chemistry. And so as soon right. as they met. They were, you know, quick, fast friends. And so because of that, they were able to like ad lib and do, you know, do some things in those, especially those opening sequences where they're, you know, they're just being friends before, you know, one of them gets mutilated. Um, <laughs> and so that like a lot of that stuff was, uh, lots of ad lib, like stuff ad-lib, before they got, yeah. got to, the, got to the bar and stuff like that, the pub. So that was really cool. One thing that I, I read that I thought was great was John Landis's favorite line in the film was, Please remain sane, at least <laughs> yeah. until you're no longer our responsibility, yep. which you would say to both David and Griffin during filming, which I thought was great. <laughs> I'm going to use that to like all, all, uh, all my employees. Yeah, know? there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Just please, please remain, remain sane. sane, at least until you're no longer my responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, man. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. There's a great scene. I mean, the movie is good. It's got some, it's got some good scenes of the comedy scenes. So a little, a little bit of trivia as we're kind of moving to that part anyway. <laughs> yeah how do you talk about this it's family family podcast but anyway so the theater at the end was we know is 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 a an adult theater how you gonna say <laughs> there you go yeah, yeah that's a good way to say but it when when john landis originally wrote the script in 68 or 69 it was supposed to be a theater that showed old cartoons <laughs> but by the time he shot the film in 1980 the cartoon theaters in london were all replaced by 
adult theaters. So he had to adjust the script accordingly. <laughs> and he had to actually make that film to show in the theater. So they actually filmed that first before they filmed anything else. It's like, wow, he really went all out. But he, but the the name of that film, I think it's like, wait till Wednesday or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. See, see you Wednesday. See you, see you like next that. Wednesday. Mm-hmm. He has like put that poster for that film and other movies he's made <laughs> since then. It's like a little nod to, to this one. So that's awesome. Yeah. And no, another great scene is the, uh, at the theater like at the end when i think it attacks the one person in the theater and then all yes. the cops come in and they've kind of you know the cops see oh, the and, werewolf and, yeah right. and you yeah. see like the full werewolf you know you kind of see him in his full form because landa said he really it was twofold he really didn't want people to see much of the werewolf he only wanted to show it in certain angles and certain things right just to give the audience the kind of the that jaws effect like what you know let your imagine imagination be Right. More terrifying than what I can actually show. And then it was also practical because it's like the stuff that he really wanted to do, they just couldn't do for the, you know, with the effects right. and stuff. So, but that scene when the guy comes out, he pulls down the, the, the clothes. Oh, the oh clothes yeah. Of, yeah. Like the door, yeah, the yeah. door. Uh-huh. And he's like, don't go in there. There's a beast in there. And like, I think Landa said all the extras for that scene, he did not tell them what they were used for. Like he just wanted extras. It was going to be a city scene. So when they said there was a beast, most of them thought that was real. Like they didn't know that was part of the movie. And so he said, when the, when the thing finally bur- burst out, the people's react, some of the reactions were actually genuine because they didn't know what was coming out of there. But, but that well, scene was really good too. Oh, yeah. Very much so. that whole, um, cause it's what, is it not Piccadilly? Yeah. Piccadilly Circus, yeah, square. Yeah. Piccadilly mm-hmm. circus. Yeah. That's it. Uh, or square. Yeah. 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 The whole thing is, is remarkably well done, but I know that the, uh, he ended up showing more of the face of the werewolf than mm-hmm. originally he had planned. Right. And right. Rick Baker was a little annoyed because he had only like designed like one look <laughs> for the werewolf. He, yeah. He, yeah. He would have done more animatronic right. stuff and made it a little more, you know, if he had known, but apparently the, it was so well done. And uh, John Landis was so taken with it that he was like, I, I love this thing. Let's, let's show it. Let's show it more. <laughs> right. <laughs> right yeah man when you got rick baker doing it it means you're you, for real you, like you want you know let let it be seen let it be yes seen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> oh man yeah there's there's like some just some amazing things with this and, and I, I love watching this um whenever i can lately you know mm-hmm. just because of how like how detailed it all was so yeah yeah like like you're right the 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 trying to capture the real screams or even filming his own film within a film you know mm-hmm. like that's and, and again that also influenced later later uh, uh filmmakers like when they did home alone and they made angels with filthy souls yeah, yeah there you go yeah that movie within a movie <laughs> so you know it's like these little things it's like that's how awesome this movie was mm-hmm. and now these messages <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit, Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. Hey, everybody. Do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about the days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? 
TV shows and the movies that she watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams, and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life For You. And here at Retro Life For You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the music because I know you being well, us both being musicians, you probably a better musician than I. But, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. But uh, so the, the music, there's some great music in this. So the film, ironically, upbeat soundtrack consists of songs which refer to the moon. Bobby Vinton's slow, soothing version of Blue Moon plays during the opening credits. Van Morrison's Moon Dance plays yeah. as David and Alex are having their adult time. Credence Clearwater <laughs> Revival's Bad Moon Rising plays as David nears the moment of changing to the werewolf. Mm-hmm. A soft, bittersweet ballad version of Blue Moon by Sam Cooke plays during the agonizing wolf transformation, which I thought was an interesting choice. That, yeah, and, yeah. And the Marcel's doo-wop version of Blue Moon plays over the end credits. I know they originally wanted to get like an Elvis version yep. and yep. a Cat Stevens yep. song as well that they couldn't get just mm-hmm. because... You know, one of them was like a rights issue, like a legal battle, and mm-hmm. Cat Stevens like didn't approve. You know, yeah, uh, had, after yeah, his conversion to first, Islam, exactly. Yep, yep. And then but, Bob Dylan wouldn't allow his version because that was during his brief conversion to Christianity. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. There's some really, really interesting choices here. So of course, Moon. Yeah, that makes sense. But mm-hmm. like, like Moon Dance. That is a that is kind of a just a, a sultry kind of song. Mm-hmm, you know, it mm-hmm. has a nice little groove. So that makes sense for for it being placed where it is. But right. the the Sam Cooke <laughs> that is is like just completely out of left field. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes the scene even creepier. It is because it's just like something's not. There's a, a disconnect. Di- it's, it's a dissonant. Yeah. You know, it's a, for a musical term, dissonant chords where two right. two things that shouldn't be next to each other are there, but it's there for a reason. It right. doesn't always sound good to the ear, but it has purpose. So I know because Elmer Elmer Bernstein is the yes. uh, the composer, composer. but right. he didn't really do like a whole lot of composing. There's, there's yeah. not a whole lot of music written for it, right? And a lot of it was basically just transitions from mm-hmm. like song to song and a few other uh, brief things here and there. Um, I know when the actual soundtrack came out that there was uh, music specifically for the soundtrack mm-hmm. like that wasn't used in the film at all it was it right. was like like new music for the soundtrack mm-hmm. which is an odd thing to do you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think they said it was like his what he actually composed for the movie was only like seven minutes long so you can't put a seven minute <laughs> album out i mean because you could but most people would be kind of upset to buy it <laughs> but uh he actually wrote and recorded music for the transformation scene right. that landis decided not to use but he released it later under the title metamorphosis yeah. So. Yeah. And it's, it's been included in a few uh, of like Elmer Bernstein's greatest mm-hmm. you know, hits kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, fantastic piece of music, but I can see why he wouldn't use it. And again, it's because of that dissonance we were talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just something unsettling about this yeah. nice, soothing <laughs> Sam Cooke. So, you know, version over over this like horrifying, just <laughs> brutal, Ag- agonizing pain. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's and and it just it really, really works. But at the same time, it's like uh, I, if Bernstein's version had been there, it actually would have been pretty good, too. I just oh, yeah. I think I think they made the right choice going. Yeah. with what they did for what the director, the for the feeling that the director wanted the audience to have, mm-hmm. it needed that that music that was different than what was composed for it. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Moon Dance was one that uh, my band and I would play sometimes. We just, and then we'd seg into like a Tom Petty uh, (laughs) song, but it was fun. Oh yeah. (laughs) Well, good songs. But yeah, I did like, I think I picked up on that. They were moon songs as I was watching it, but I didn't, it didn't connect. They were all, they were all like, I was like, Oh, I can see what, you know, talk about the moon. I can see that. 
but yeah, but very it, cool. It did make me wonder how come he didn't use like a werewolf of London. Yeah, which I think <laughs> Warren Zevon. Both of the actors wanted that same question. They said they never got a response of why he didn't. Maybe he just didn't like the song. I don't know. It's maybe it, it's too, maybe it was too on the nose for him. He wanted to be a little bit <laughs> give a little bit of of uh, of distance. But yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about box office and critical reception. So, American Werewolf in London was released on August twenty first, nineteen eighty one. It debuted at number one at the box office with a three million dollar weekend. So, it was didn't have wow. very stiff competition that weekend. But late August, you know, kind of coming out of the, right. the summer season. But the picture was released during an early to mid-80s cycle of werewolf movies. We've mentioned a couple already, mm-hmm. including Wolfen in 81, The Howling in 81, Teen Wolf in 85, Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf in 85, <laughs> Full Moon High in 81. Have, have Teen... you seen that one, by the way? No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Okay. <laughs> so uh, so much so that Christopher Lee later apologized. Uh, <laughs> to like, I, I don't remember if it was the director or the writer of... Uh, of the howling <laughs> like Franchise. i'm sorry yeah. yeah it's like i'm sorry <laughs> it's yeah, like they, oh. they made a couple of those like I, I i'm like i've seen the posters for them but i've never if i if i saw one i don't remember anything about it you know so i remember seeing and i don't know if it's part four or part five but uh the one where they're like marsupials because okay. i remember that that one freaked me out and <laughs> and so after that i was like i don't want to watch the others but no the first one's really good the second mm-hmm. one is like Next level bad. <laughs> I mean, when so, the when the when the subtitle is "Your sister is a werewolf," I mean, you kind of know going in. It's like this isn't going to be the same as the first one. I don't think. So but I think the, they left so, off. Yeah, go ahead. Silver Bullet. Yeah, yeah. As I said, they left off Silver Bullet on the list because I I remember seeing that one. That's when I I want to go That's back and watch again. One, yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, but, Stephen yeah. King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like that. Yeah, you know, it's like I really maybe I don't know. It's like something if about I, werewolves in the eighties was like. Yeah, it was a big it, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking like the, like I missed the Stephen King of the eighties, like movies that came out. Like I've, I've never seen Christine. I've never oh, seen I Carrie. You, yeah. So I, I may want to like, maybe that'll be something I kind of spend some time the next couple, you know, maybe this October I'll be my Stephen King scary movies where when I have some extra time, but to go back and watch some of those, like I know I saw silver bullet, mm-hmm. but there's a couple other ones that I know I, I didn't see, but anyway, I saw pet cemetery, but that was late late 80s so right but uh rotten tomatoes gave this one 89 percent on the tomato meter with an 85 percent audience score imdb not so good 7.5 out of 10 with the viewers and a 55 on metacritic that dog oh, on wow metacritic is always terrible i would put this in the seven range for me it's definitely worth watching yeah um, but it's not it's it's great i mean we've talked about how great it is i mean it's, it's not a terrible movie but it's not right one that I'm going to want to watch every every year. It's not that doesn't have the same rewatchability yeah. as some other ones that I, I tend to watch. Well, and I, I agree, and I think a lot of that is just because of the tone. Like yeah. if yeah, uh, and especially the the like super downer of an ending. You know, just, mm-hmm. like like he dies. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean? It's, it's true. It's, it's a dark like, comedy. It really is. It's I mean, it's yeah. we say horror comedy, but I think it's really more horror dark comedy, which yeah. isn't the same as you know. I want to go see watch something funny. Dark comedy. You're going to laugh, but it's not, you're not leaving the theater right. like, wow, I had such a great time at the movies, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that's why, that's because, you know, I like to watch it um, when I can, but mm-hmm. it's not when I seek out all the time. You right, know? right. So like if, like uh, Masters of the Universe, it's like, <laughs> I feel like watching Masters of the Universe, you know, right, you just right. put it on or, or Monster Squad. See, yeah. now that's a horror comedy that I can, you know, it's like, man, I feel like watching Monster Squad and you put it mm-hmm. on and it's just, it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, yeah. but but this is one that I, I think it's uh, while I love the acting, while I love the drama and the tension and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the mood and everything that was set. I think this is one that you watch more for the special effects. Yeah. And, yeah. And just realizing how forward it was with the mm-hmm. special effects and makeup that, uh, you know, it won Rick Baker the very first ever Academy Award for makeup, you know. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, like, that's why you watch it. It's not really just like. One of those, uh, like, you know what? Be really fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think it, it has more of an, a lasting effect, and, and because of like its technical achievements than anything else. Yeah. And so, it's yeah, like, I, yeah. I, I'm with you. Seven. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. And I think it's like you said. It's like this is a movie that I have to be in the mood for. Like, right. it's not just like, oh, let me just pull this one off. Let me just 
grab a couple of random movies and just throw, throw something in. It's like, I would want to be in the mood. Like this is the kind of movie that I want to watch. Like I want to watch something that's going to be dark right. and kind of mysterious and, you know, the cool special effects. But I know at the end, it's not going to be, you know, this happy, good overcomes evil right. type of movie. It doesn't, it's not that, it's not that story that he's trying to tell. He's really just kind of telling like, what is it like to, you know, be overtaken by something that you had no control over and then right. that transformation and, and trying to, you know, it is kind of heartbreaking. Cause once again, you're like, he, he falls in love <laughs> with this woman and, yeah. and she's like going to have a great life together. And then, Oh, sorry, lady, I'm a werewolf. And <laughs> I'm about to, about to go kill a bunch of people all around the city. So, which uh, the, uh, the sequel kind of repairs. Okay. A bit, yeah. Know? I haven't so seen like, the sequel. So I have to, I have to go back and watch that one. So, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> okay so the sequel is about their daughter okay so, yeah apparently um the it's the daughter of david and and uh what's her the name? nurse alex the nurse yeah yeah alex yeah i think it's alex yeah yeah and, and so she's the werewolf and it's about this this like group of adventure seeking teenagers in paris and anyway that kind of like resolves the the issue there the bloodline and and mm-hmm. that one has like a, a fun feel good type of more traditional horror yeah, kind of yeah. a story gotcha exactly and at the end it's like oh okay it's it's, it's happy everybody's good <laughs> you know but like here it's like ooh mm-hmm. that's that's a rough ending so you know it's like if you want to watch something during halloween that's that's really cool you know the 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 practical effects will just blow your you know your socks off and mm-hmm. and uh, you're just you you want to watch a halloween movie that is not very traditional I would totally put this on, you know, yeah. like, but you got to plan the night. And then afterwards yeah. put on like an episode of Seinfeld or, or, <laughs> yeah. or the office and, you know, and then right. Get, get your mojo back that way. There you go. There you go. <laughs> or watch a Christmas movie. There you go. There you go. That, yeah, that, <laughs> that would do it. Yep. All right, Jerry. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this episode, man. I had a great time. Yeah. It's always a fun time talking with you about a great movie. And this one's definitely fit the bill. So any last thoughts on the movie? Or I think we've covered it all. I think we've covered it all. I'd say, yeah, <laughs> make sure you watch it. If nothing else, at least YouTube the transformation scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, and maybe the uh, the rampage on Piccadilly. Uh, yeah. You know, that part. It's it, They're just really well done. And for not being computer generated, it, mm-hmm. uh, it, it really shows like how a master of his craft yeah. can create something that's just so fantastic and amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would totally check it out. Um, but really other than that, I mean, it's, it's, there's a nice little love story in it, but it's kind of tragic. And so, yeah. Yeah. uh, if you're going to watch the whole thing, just kind of be prepared <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, and like I said, just, just have some fun afterwards. Yeah. There <laughs> Whatever you go. that is. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Go check out Totally Rad Christmas Podcast if you haven't already. Like I said, after watching this one, find a nice, happy Christmas movie to watch, <laughs> and then right. go find and then go find Jerry's episode <laughs> on it. Uh, make sure you follow us on social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Where can they find you, Jerry, on your socials? So they, socials would be, uh, I'm at Facebook and Instagram at Totally Rad Christmas, Twitter at Rad Christmas. I also have a Facebook group, Totally Rad Christmas Mall and Arcade. Yep. Um, that you can check me out there as well. Yeah, if you want Christmas 365 days a year, as it should be, it's a great, <laughs> great uh, Facebook group to be a part of. So. And it's all about the 80s yeah, as well. Yeah, all about the so. 80s. Best decade ever. <laughs> all right, yeah. everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Jerry, for being a part. Always a pleasure to have you, my friend. Thanks for having me, man. It was fun. Yeah. All right, everybody. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night, good people. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.